0: Hi everyone, welcome to my channel. My name is Lisa Allistway, and on this channel, you will find a variety of inspirational and informational videos. So if that sounds good to you and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. My guest today is Pavandeep Singh, who is an eye surgeon and was a contestant on the reality show, SAS, Who Dare, Dares Win, season five. This show is designed to replicate a number of elements of the actual United Kingdom Special Forces. The contestants are taken through hostile and unforgiving warfare environments while testing their mental and physical ability through a series of tests. Welcome, Pavendi.
1: Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me.
0: So nice to meet you.
1: Um,
0: So first question is why would you sign up for uh, this super difficult reality show called SAS Who Dares Wins?
1: I can guess why not? (laughs) Um, It's, it was, I was a big fan of the show from when it began. Uh, Prior to that, I've always been interested in the military, um, just as a young boy growing up. Um, I I think there's, I always had a bit of a a martial aspect to my view on life, I guess, um, most partly due to my faith as well. Um, and as a young boy growing up, you know, you, you hold or I held um, soldiers, and then for the, you know, the the pinnacle of soldiering, i.e., the special forces, with, with very high respect and regard, and always saw them as a, you could say the the pinnacle of human performance in, you know, very arduous and, and difficult conditions, um, and then obviously being in the UK. You are aware of your own armed forces, um, and the SAS have always held a degree of, of a legendary status. Um, you know, you've you, you heard about them. You know, these kind of shadow warriors who would appear and disappear, and the job would have been completed in that in those short moments. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up with that, and um, the the show began few years, you know, I can't remember when it began actually, but you know, you was you was always watching it, um, big fan and always trying to take things from it, you know, and trying to apply them to day-to-day life. Um, and then eventually you start asking the question, you just you're watching it one day and you wonder, well, I wonder if there must be some kind of application process. How do these people on it get on it? And then it was a bit of a Google, not too difficult. And I just went ahead and filled in the application form. And then the rest was history, as they say.
0: Awesome. So what was the application process like? What were they looking for and what did you have to answer, pass before on to get selected?
1: So you have to, um, obviously it's, it's a TV production as well. So it's actually all that aspect is is, is run by the production company who, who ran it back then. Um, and initially you just have to fit in a uh, online quite extensive Uh, form um, about yourself lots of you know questions about your background any you know your your most stressful experiences what you what life means to you what why you do stuff so quite um in depth quite an in-depth exploration of what makes you you um and you send that off and I assume someone in production goes through all of those and picks out relatively interesting people um because there's a there's the, there's, you could say there's the um, militaristic aspect of it, which the directing staff deliver. Um, then there's also the TV aspect, which is um, unavoidable and inextricably linked because it's a TV show at the end of the day. Um, so the production company want to bring together certain individuals, right? So they have a kind of mix. Um, you're then called up if you're found to be interesting enough to the um, to the fitness tests, which are back then were held. This is prior to COVID, so people were still mixing as normal. Um, just to various sites across the country, like school halls or community halls, where the, the basic physical fitness tests were conducted. Um, they mirrored which what was I believe at that time. Um, similar British military entrance tests. Um, so they um, composed of, there was a, a run, which was, when we did it, it was a bleep test, um, which is the um, a common fitness test. Um, and you had a score which you had to meet on the bleep test. Previous years, it used to be the um, 1.5 mile run Um, to be achieved in under nine minutes and 30 seconds. That used to be, I remember really, that was a staple of the the Special Forces selection process. Not the actual selection, but the criteria to begin um, Mm -hmm. selection. Uh, And then there's the the military kind of push-up tests, sit-up tests under Mm -hmm. a certain amount of sandbag carries, um, jerry-can carries. And to be honest, if you're relatively fit and you you train specifically for them with Mm -hmm. the aim that you know you're going to go and do, It's not too difficult if you, you know, Mm -hmm. give yourself a few weeks, a couple of months or so, um, and that's it. You do that and then you pass the physical, then you kind of put into a pool of candidates who have passed the physical test, Mm -hmm. after which you conduct a video, an interview with one of the production team. And again, they just ask you about yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: after all that, they contact you individually if you're going to make it to the, the show.
0: Okay. And so what was the time frame as far as getting picked and then being on the show? And then what did you do to prepare yourself mentally and physically for the show?
1: Uh, the, the testing phase that I've just described was for me around about June, July-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about, I'd say late August, maybe early September, I was contacted to say they were interested in having me on. Uh, but I was very poor in the water, so they I was told that they need to see some basic proficiency, um, a length or so, um, in, of swimming before they confirmed my place, which would have been then. We went away in early October of 2019, so roughly you say I had about six weeks, say four to six weeks before we were going to go off. Um, but training for that, you kind of, you're, if you're sensible, you would start to train as if you're going to go on prior mm-hmm. to knowing that you're going to go on. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, there's you know, it's money in the bank. You've invested in yourself. You've got fitter. Um, I'd already started doing extra running, a bit of hill work. I had my baseline fitness, which is mostly strength-based. So mm-hmm. I started working more on kind of cardiovascular endurance, um, like I mentioned, hill work. But when I got the call and, and, you know, it was kind of my, I wouldn't say bad luck, it just luck of the draw that the series I was going to go on had to be quite a marine-based series rather than mostly ground-based. So I had to really find people to try and teach me to swim. Um, and that took up a lot of those final weeks of preparation of just trying to be able to move somewhat in the water.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So your season five was held in Scotland and... I have to admit, it was one of my favorite seasons because it was just gorgeous scenery. And they had you day one in the water, in the freezing water, swimming, uh, which you said wasn't exactly one of your strong suits. Um, What was it like day one being thrown into that?
1: I'm trying to remember. Uh, What was day one? Oh, yes. (laughs) okay, yeah, um, it was... um, It was just crazy because it started off at like 3 a.m. or so um, on the Friday. And um, we were told to have our breakfast, which was just some sand, anything sandwiches and crisps and whatnot. Um, And they they did well to keep it all hush hush. So we went there, all dressed up in our trousers, um, waterproof, normal trousers, jackets, waterproof jackets, bag on your back, and walked out to the harbour and we had to wait there for about an hour and a half. I think there'd been a delay with the boats. Then some um, speed boats came along and uh, those, those rubber boats that they have in the special forces, they came along and we had to bundle onto those. And we had about, I must've been an hour or two journey um, in the sea, on the sea. As It was quite nice because the dawn broke as we were on the sea and then we had the dolphins come along alongside us. So that was quite nice. Um, and then at some point we stopped and then the, the directing staff got on the boats and then it kind of became quite real because mm-hmm. you, you were well, just the telly on the TV. Um, and now here they were, and from this get go, they were just kind of giving us orders and you know telling people to shut up, stop laughing, you know <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, the, the first task was to just jump. The first task was to jump off the speeding boat as mm-hmm. it was in motion. Mm -hmm. swim to shore and sudden water shock cold shock um Mm -hmm. which you know I was I was good enough I could barely manage to do a length in the pool um we had what they they were obviously they're sensible they had done a safety assessment so people like me there was myself and another recruit who were classified as poor swimmers so we had a life jacket on underneath Mm -hmm. but you know that stops you from sinking but Mm -hmm. it doesn't really make any many much easier so you know my turn came and it was Billy Billingham who was on my boat and he just gets you up on the side on the the, the side is quite bouncy because it's a rubber boat so you're just standing there and he just gives you a slap on the back and you just have to jump in and you jump <laughs> into the water and it's a certain shock and you just try to keep your composure so you just you know make sure your breathing's right and I had I had developed some kind of I wouldn't call it a backstroke, but when I was practicing, I could get on my back, stay afloat, and kind of move.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I. Just did that. But the thing is, it's so cold, and mm-hmm. even the good swimmers—I mean, some people made it to the end, which is great. But you know, the cold just stops your your limbs from moving. you actually you're, you're, you're okay up here, but you can just feel the signals not getting through, and you just kind of start seizing up.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that
1: was a shock. to uh, I had obviously then you have the safety boats they pull you out and then they they bring you in closer um, and then we were put on the beach and uh, we were kind of what we call beasted on the beach it's just difficult physical challenges stripped down to the underwear and kind of crawling through nettles and all that and that is just designed to shock you and and break your break your will really and to see and that claimed two people at the start it was you know they were pretty they probably were pretty strong fit guys and they would have been done well but it's the mind isn't it the mind kind of gets a bit of a whoo like that so mm-hmm. and then you you have to just you know get through that and you're going to know that you know you know it's going to be hard that's what you sign mm-hmm. up for
0: yeah just that's keep that's one of the things that the the staff you know talks about is that um, they expose expose your flaws so and your weaknesses yeah. i mean under these environments if you are you know deluded about Your capabilities or whatever, those will get exposed. And um, I think that's why it's so appealing to watch because it's such a raw and honest um, course, and we get to see how it unfolds.
1: Yeah, exactly. And actually, it's, it's appealing to watch, and it's really appealing to do for that very reason because that, you know, the whole ability to have an opportunity where your weaknesses can be exposed like that is really fruitful to the individual. Because unless you're crazy, you're not gonna put yourself through that willingly. I mean, you can't really push yourself that hard and in those circumstances. Um, so it's a, it's a welcome test to those who go and do it, if, you, if you're of that mindset, you know? Because only yes. by exposing that weakness, you can then develop yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so you're put through a lot of challenges, but also you are sleep deprived, uh, your calories are lower, so you're probably hungry. Um, so there's a lot of other things. You're freezing cold. So there's a lot of challenges that you have to overcome. Um, how did you deal with those, like, low moments and those difficult situations?
1: Yeah, there's, it's, it's, it's constantly cold, pretty much wet all the time, and food is quite scarce. Uh, I think you just... You, you're kind of, your sphere of control becomes very sh- small. You know, when you're in your normal life, you, you you control lots of stuff. You know, you can control what you're going to eat, what you're going to sleep, drink, etc. and you're in, you're in comfortable situations. But there, a lot of things are stripped from you. So sleep is stripped from you. Food is stripped from you. Warmth is stripped from you. Um, you have to start realizing that your your influence of control is getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you are at some point just left with your mind and, your your will and your heart and whatever drives you. Um, I think it helps to have made a plan beforehand, just how far you're willing to go um, and what you're willing to tolerate. Um, And my plan was that no matter what happened, I would never quit. That was kind of non-negotiable in my head and there were many times I wanted to quit because I, I remember certain times when you were woke, I was woke we were all woken up in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. you know asked to go 30 seconds to the parade square and be physically beasted for an hour. And I remember waking, I totally forgotten where I was because I was in such a deep sleep and my whole body was shaking, and you know, you, I just thought, nah, I can't do this anymore. But that's okay because my my brain was saying that, <laughs> my body was shaking, but I wasn't going to act on it you know I, there was a little com- control center up here somewhere that although you feel like quitting you're like now nah, this will just you know you hold on and you just know there's there's no option for you to quit um so you've got to make that contract with yourself i think beforehand you've got to believe in that and i think that's the way to get through it you, you're not there for fun you're not you know it's going to be hard mm-hmm. if you've had the luxury of we did you i've seen the previous series i know how difficult it is
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: more so than what you see on the screen um yeah. so you take what's given you know you take what food you're given you enjoy what you have you savor the small things if you mm-hmm. if you do find some the socks are a bit dry you enjoy it if you mm-hmm. get some sleep you enjoy it. So you've got to mm-hmm. take the little blessings really
0: Yeah, so your season definitely had some interesting characters, and you also had females in your season, which I thought was really enlightening. Um, And there was one task where you had to box each other. And from as a female watching that, it was hard to watch. And I imagine as a male, it was hard to watch because you saw men punching women under these circumstances, which in war, there is no rules. So that could happen in a warlike situation. Um, And then obviously you learn later on the female uh, was in a domestic abuse situation and she never fought back and going through that task actually helped give her some strength um, and maybe make peace with that situation. How did you feel watching that whole scene? Because I would imagine that was a hard one to, uh, to partake in.
1: Yeah. Well, I I have to admit, I mean, um, when you're there, you are, I don't think I gave myself... You don't have the luxury or, to kind of think about it too much. or you, I, I, I don't think that's a good idea because your mindset there has to be very different because like you said, it's, it's simulating warfare. Um, I don't know what I would have done if I had to face a female, I'll be honest. I hadn't prepared myself for that. Um, to watch, I mean, the females were faced off against females, but there there were matches where it was male against female. Um, We kind of, everyone was quite good friends, all the recruits. So you're hoping for the best for both of them. Yeah. Um, And generally speaking, the guys were sensible. So you're not going to hold back. You mustn't, you're not allowed to. And you have to respect that element of that task. But you have as what they want you to do, as if you were to be a, a soldier of that level, mm-hmm. you have you, you, you hold back, but you don't hold back, if that makes sense. You know, you do mm-hmm. you do enough to challenge the opponent, but you're not gonna knock their head off. If if it's easy for you to knock the head off, you don't need to go that far. You know? mm-hmm. um, I I didn't get I didn't get too emotional watching any of my colleagues because I knew they were fine. I knew they were strong. They're there for a reason. They know what to do. They're Mm -hmm. in good hands. The DS are watching them. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: And it's it's like you said, it was very liberating for some of them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, and the the one that I'm talking about in particular was against the mole. Y'all had a mole. uh, Somebody who was actually a SAS officer but was pretending to be one of the regulars um and so he was the one that was actually fighting her and so I'm sure it was super controlled um so my question to you is did you guys have an inkling or an idea that he was something was off about that guy like he seems too good or he's holding back did any of y'all have a as a feeling
1: well but just back to their fight also we, yeah. we never knew about their backstories to that degree. So we, we wouldn't have known that people would become abuse. So as far as we knew, we just, we knew the, the bare basics about each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um, regarding Jamie the mole.
0: Jamie the <laughs> he, mole.
1: Jamie the mole. Now he was just, he was nice. He was, a, he was a good lad. He was competent. He didn't really stick out. Although he did. I think sometimes we joked to him because he was just, he just looked a bit military. He had that look in yeah. his eyes. The hair, he was
0: super fit.
1: He was really fair. I mean, then he, he got in trouble a few times, but that was, I think that probably subconsciously threw us off the scent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there were, there were a few names bandied about saying, oh, they might be the mole, but I, I don't think personally, I saw much thought much of him. I think he's good, but he mm-hmm. did well to blend in. Um, okay. And then he moved himself, yeah, at the end.
0: <laughs> so you guys knew that there would be a mole in your season? or you did not you we weren't sure
1: So in, I think in the previous season there was a mold um, okay so the possibility
0: then,
1: yeah, I, I remember my thought process was I thought if there was one in the last season there probably isn't one this season but I should have obviously thought differently um but you know the other the other thing is it's not really something to get to um ground to to get yourself you know wound up on too much because it doesn't really matter does it if there's a mold or not you, you just mm-hmm. as long as you do what you're there to you um, then it, that shouldn't really affect you as a recruit
0: okay um okay so obviously let's talk a little bit about the pain and suffering and that component of all of this and obviously you're volunteering to go through the pain and the suffering you're asking for it you're wanting it and what is the value of that pain and suffering
1: mm, okay that's a good question. Uh, the value of the pain and suffering is that it, like I said before, it, it, does, it exposes you to a degree of intensity that you wouldn't have experienced otherwise. And I, I do believe that. I, I, I don't think what we experienced there was, I had not even imagined that level of intensity um, you know beforehand, you think of it like a really hard workout or some kind of difficult event, but you can't imagine what they do to you unless you've gone through it. Um, what it does is it does, like they say, is it, is it, it does really expose you to yourself and to to them as well who are watching you. Um, it lets you, I think, because we all have we all have images in our head of who we are, what we want to be, and we kind of sometimes have a um exterior person face that we want to the world to see <clears throat> or that we want ourselves to see but what that pain and suffering does it kind of really strips all that away and you are left because your influence of the pain and suffering is designed to make your influence of control get shorter and shorter and shorter until you're just left with yourself uh, in a very difficult physical situation emotional situation mental situation and it's like um this little thing just you know lying there and you have to decide you know what actually are you you have to ask yourself that question and it reveals that to you and it reveals all your weaknesses so once you come out of the show and you of the course and you look back you can if you if you're true with yourself only you know what was going on in your head at certain times and what your motivations were at certain times and whether you truly hard, working hard enough or were you coasting, uh, you know, trying to b- just mm. blend in with the crowd. and Only you will know the truth of that and then you can decide what you want to do with it. You can either just ignore it and come up with excuses or you can accept it and you can say, well, yeah, I kind of bottled it there or I could have done better. I had something in the tank. And that's fine because if you come out of it and you learn from it, that, that pain and that suffering They teach you, you know, they show you what you truly are. And then they show. They teach you, if you accept the pain and suffering in the course, they teach you that you can deal with anything. And I I truly believe that. And one of the main things that happened when I came out of the course was I felt that if I'm ever presented with any obstacle, surely nothing could top this, you know, what we've been through. And it gives your mind that real positive self-belief. And you know, that doesn't mean you have to see the end. Sometimes it's like you're in the tunnel, but you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're just in complete darkness. But the course taught me that even if I'm in that situation, if you keep grinding, if you keep going at it, there will be a way through. And mm-hmm. I think that was the mentality we were trying to drill into us. And I'm, I'm always, always been really grateful for that lesson.
0: Mm-hmm. It reminds me of um, David Goggins. He talks about callousing the mind, yes. you know. That's and so said, I think, yes. you, yeah.
1: Mind, yeah,
0: yeah. So Goggins that you get stronger. Said, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Goggins said,
1: Goggins, was, Goggins' line, which I've repeated countless times, is, is, he says, "On the other end of suffering is a beautiful world." I remembered that, and truly, when I came out of there, the world did look different. The, the calmness the clarity of mind you have when you when you come out of there and you just see and all the stuff that we worry about that drives us crazy and, and the things we kind of allow to take up space in our heads you realize just how futile it all is and that you know if you have a bigger goal in life what your your greater your greatest goal is that you've decided for yourself that's all that matters and and the the, the pain and suffering really helped to kind of drill through that and make that very clear
0: Mm -hmm. and it's it's so many people uh see it counterintuitive because they think gosh i don't who wants the the pain pain hurts pain is difficult um you know a lot of people retreat from trying to you know accept and actually i I guess push into the pain um and so it's it there is a connection there between the physical and the emotional and how it blends with the other side of suffering Mm -hmm. that you talked about
1: that's right. And I think if you, if you push yourself, it, you're right, it's, it's by going to those places, you kind of show yourself that it's possible to survive in those places, you know, and you may not always get, you, you may not always get through it, um, but you'll always come out with more experience uh, and better learning and more knowledge of yourself. And it's a it's a continuous process of testing yourself. And mm-hmm. I, I always felt that's one path to happiness as well.
0: Mm-hmm. It's that never-ending self-improvement, right? There's you never reach the pinnacle. There's always a new day, a new challenge, a new experience.
1: Exactly. So I mean, I because I'm I am i am a man of faith. So I have I'm quite strongly believe in my faith. And you know, I, I believe in a God. And to me, God is you know, you can define him in many ways, but I think I'd like to think that um, across the faiths, you know, describing God as perfection is, you know, people will agree with that. People who believe in God. Um, and I always think man is man was made in his image. And, you know, we have this opportunity in our lifetime uh, in the Sikh faith, we believe is our chance to connect with the Lord. So to me, part of it is this constant improvement is to take this opportunity as a human being right now. And try and reach my greatest potential, which is by constantly testing, constantly not trying to stay in a comfort zone and always pushing beyond it. And in a weird kind of way, I I think that that form of training is also a form of worship because you're maximizing the chances, the opportunities, the potentials that have been given to you in this blessed human life that you've been very lucky to receive. And what better way of kind of showing gratitude to him, the Lord, that's given you this chance, than by, you know, putting your foot down and, you know, pedal to the metal and try and take it all the way. Mm-hmm.
0: So if you don't mind touching on your faith and um, how that has helped you through these difficult tasks and difficult times, what what kind of um, benefits has it given you?
1: Um. So yeah, I mean, there's 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 two aspects you could probably say there's there's the spiritual aspect of um, I'd say things like trying to the concept of trying to accept God's will, which is one aspect of the Sikh faith. Um, so you kind of see things. It's also a Stoic concept, the amor fati, which is you know love thy fate. So. Whatever happens, you just try to, you you love it and you accept it as his will and you just get on with it, right? So you try to, you see good in all things that happen and you then, it's a very positive outlook. Um, You you don't complain, you just find a way around it. You think this has happened for a reason. I've been given this for a reason. Um, In the Sikh faith, we have a concept of, it's called which means high spirits, in loose translation. And it's essentially trying to always keep high spirits, a positive outlook. Um, So there's that, there's also, you know, again, the, the pain and suffering of physicality makes the mind, pulls the mind into a degree of control. You know, it's not going all over the place when you're suffering. And even if you're training at the gym, when you're doing a hard workout, you will benefit if you bring your mind into a degree of silence and focus, um, mindfulness, being present in the moment. Yeah, um, and as a Sikh, that's very important because we we pray, we meditate, we need to control the mind, right? So, and, and the Sikh gurus they advocated the physical as well as the spiritual. So there was a concept of the warrior saint, which was uh, an individual which is adept at both. Combat, martial arts, but also meditation, and spirituality, and they, these things came together in that um, in that ideal of the warrior saint, and because it's the mind and the body which work as one. And if the the mind isn't under control, then the body won't be under control. And if you use the physical stimulus of training, you can help to bring the mind under control as well. And then historical examples I had. So that was kind of because of the spiritual philosophical very brief overview um, historical examples we had you know there's lots of great sikh warriors that I've known about learned about we had in the past you know men and women that were tortured and that didn't give up basically they they held on to their ideals Because where we were in Punjab the sikhs northwest Punjab northwest India which is Punjab area all the invaders came through there so the the afghans the turks the persians um, So we bore the brunt of it, and Sikhs were often killed left, right, and center, or killed at site. So it was a, you know, convert or die ultimatum to Sikhs, and they held their nerve. And we had the Sikh gurus, we had 10 prophets, um, well, 10 gurus, um, and, you know, one of them, the fifth guru, was tortured, and when he's being tortured, his scriptures which he wrote were to say that the will of god is sweet for me all i all i desire is the remembrance of his name and that wasn't just a great act in the sense of just doing the great act or a miracle or whatever that was a lesson to us that was to say this is the path that i've described but this is me now also walking that path so to show you guys that it can be done and you know, if I can do it, you can do it. So it's a kind of very positive, high spirits mentality where, you know, you you maintain that. The, The Sikhs of old maintained that throughout very difficult circumstances. So I have that in my life to kind of look back at and think, well, that's the warrior heritage from which I descend. You know, I grew up watching the samurai movies, the Spartan movies, the Viking movies. And then I thought, well, that's great and I love them. But I thought, you also have a great heritage of your own and, you know, one of the last remaining warrior races. So you've got to push that envelope, push the boundaries and just try and be the best you can be.
0: That is so cool. It's in your in your DNA. And uh, I think that's cool that you can call on that and honor it. Yes, yeah. very cool. Um, so I want to ask about Ant Middleton. He is an interesting fella. And uh, what was it like? Um kind of being under his leadership and what did you learn from him?
1: Oh yeah. He's, that's a really good question. Yeah. Okay. He's uh, he's interesting because um, he has the persona of the chief instructor Yeah, on the show. So uh, he's, some of the other guys will kind of talk to you normally, but I mean, he did as well, but he is intimidating. He's very intimidating. And oftentimes you would see his silhouette as you came around the corner of the road or on the sea you know arms crossed you know you knew trouble was going to happen to you right (laughs) um but you know he's on the course he's he's brilliant because he's someone who he really believes in what he's doing he believes in what that course can do for people in a positive way and all the stuff that he says it's First of all, he's a very good speaker. He does very well. He, didn't, he doesn't stumble his lines when he's out there, but he does genuinely try to teach you stuff out there. And he seems like he cares about you learning from this experience. But one of the moments that's kind of seared into my brain was, I think it was after the log carry up the mountain, or a very, very difficult task, one of them. Mm-hmm. I just remember being really, really cold, really wet and completely drained. and you know, at that point we were lined up and the other DS, especially Ollie, Oli Allerton, and Billy and Jason Fox would always, you know, if we were to sat there like heads down, they would tell us, look, get your heads up, have some pride about you. And you'd kind of realize, okay, stand with a bit of, you know, stand to attention, right? Mm-hmm. And then Ant would, come and say, Ant would come along and say, look, this is what we want you to experience. This is a taste, a simple little taste of our world. Yeah, and then it kind of hit me because I said I thought, well, imagine doing this, what we've just done, but being shot at, having bombs going off, right? This is what they go through. So you have a lot of respect then for that. Um, but when when he said to us, "This is our world. This is what we go through," um, it helped you kind of understand that you can you can rise to it. You can you can experience that um and you can find he's you know he's always into trying to find your true self um and if you expose yourself to it you can really learn a lot about yourself mm-hmm. um, yeah so he, he's good he, he does try to push people um everyone's different i think
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: different recruits have different or he behaves i think differently depending on what their personality is like um yeah that's it i reckon <laughs>
0: yeah he, he definitely it comes through the tv how wise he is how strong he is um and that what a true teacher he is um because a true teacher will call you out on all of your bs and expose you because they you know they care and that definitely comes out in that process and i i am super impressed with him as a you know sas officer but also just as a person and a human being
1: i just did comment on that I- I've I've listened to him obviously the time I've seen him on the course and mm-hmm. afterwards I've I've read a few of his books um, and he, to me he no one's perfect none mm-hmm. of us are but he, he comes across as someone a lot of the stuff he says I've you I've kind of touched upon it before I've, I've seen it in different forms but he does come across as someone who's Found it himself through self-reflection. He's he's gone through difficult times and he's come, you know, he's I went to his talk recently. He said, look, he said, I'm not an intellectual, you know, I'm not some philosopher or whatever. But you can just see that he's experienced all this stuff from his military days, his post-military days, and currently, and he does reflect on it and he tries to learn things from it, and he does touch upon some very timeless concepts which are very important. And then, and then he, he likes to spread them and help others with that as well. So that, that's a very, I think that's very endearing qualities. He's passionate um, and, and he self-reflects. So I think that's really why he comes across the way he, you just described, yeah.
0: Yeah, those are superpowers. If people really want a superpower, self-reflection and being honest with yourself is a, is a great ground level right. to start with. Exactly, um, yeah. So what would you say were some of your biggest uh, lessons that you learned by participating in ASA or SAS?
1: The one lesson was the, to see, to see them at their performance level, the, the DS, to see that thing that was at one point seemed like a legendary thing, to see it in real life, to see that's possible. I think even if, if you're around that, some of that rubs off on you. It's just the, the, the way it is. Um, you do believe in your, your belief, your self-belief goes up. I, I had moments of, of lack of self-belief, of um, self-doubt, which held me back, um, which I've had then once you come out, you look back, which wasn't a new thing on the course, if I look back with the lens of self-reflection, reflection, prior to the course in bits of my life, it was there as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I, it really came to the force and I looked at, at afterwards, I thought, well, yeah, that's, I'm gonna stop doing that. I'm gonna stop doubting myself. And that's been a big process of the last two years. It's not completely complete, but I found myself after the course, pushing myself forwards in situations where I previously wouldn't have done because it was a little bit more comfortable not to do. And the risk of failure was substantially less by not pushing myself forward, I could have saved in a comfortable zone. But I found myself pushing my forward, myself into uncomfortable positions. Um, First, with the desire to just experience it and see what happens and kind of keep that, what we had on SAS, keep that spark going. And now as time has gone on, I do it because I actually have started to believe in myself, the, the imposter syndrome business, that's all going. Um, and it's been a difficult journey for me because I always thought I wanted to avoid the fine line between self-confidence and arrogance. Um, so I I, I I do sincerely hope I've kept it on the self-confidence side, but now i I do stuff. I, I put myself forward, and I genuinely believe I can make a good shot of it. And I think that's been a really, really invaluable lesson for me in, you know as a young man at that stage of my life to, to have had. Um, other things were <clears throat> just kind of knowing how you react in a very intense physical situation, so when when you're really depleted, um, experiencing that. And you know, once you touch that once or twice or several times, like we did on the course, it prepares you for life. You know that life will only get so hard, but you know there's a level way beyond it that you did touch and you did achieve. So you, you believe in yourself, your, your confidence goes up, your, your worrying and your fear. You know, it, it is a bit of a Zen state. You are, you're, you're very calm and no obstacle is seen as too large. And that's, I dare say, obviously I'm not in the special forces, but having read about them and spent that time with them, I think that's one of their greatest abilities to fully believe in themselves and realize nothing's too big and we and the team will get through it. So those lessons, uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for those lessons.
0: That's so cool. Would you do it again if given the opportunity? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Would you recommend (laughs) that everybody should do something like this just for their own personal growth and self improvement?
1: Definitely, definitely. I'd say, obviously, get some training in. Don't just turn up cold. But yeah, it's 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 a you know even if you're not spiritual, it's a spiritual experience. It's a physical experience. You you will you, you gain so so much from it. It's all the all the stuff we see today is about you know the the mental health the you know the people suffering and you know not knowing their direction in life youngsters you know confused and all that this is the remedy to it you know and on a smaller scale you don't have to go on a special forces selection tv show or boot camp um, it can all begin by you taking the decision to just find challenges for yourself no matter how small it always starts off small and then like when you're training in the gym you start off with a small amount of weight and you build it up. Your challenges start off small and you just go on that journey where you just build up up, up slowly. Um, and before you know it, you look back in a year's time, two years' time, and you've come a long way. And I think that that mentality could probably save the world if we all did it. I would save up all these mental health problems and mm-hmm. the people's behavior. And, you know, It will give people self-belief. I, I think people lack self-belief
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's that's immutable problems. And again, it's not a you're not meant to be arrogant and be be this kind of posturing gorilla type. But mm-hmm. people aren't kind, and we don't tell each other enough that hey, you're doing a good job, man. You know, and then I think that really seeps into people's mentality, and and the world is relatively full of negativity and mm-hmm. comparisons between unachievable goals and you have to, you have to believe in yourself and, but that belief isn't easily, doesn't come easily. It has to be earned. And, mm-hmm. and the earning comes from facing the dragon of the pain and suffering. And that can be a small dragon person and you get bigger and bigger dragons.
0: Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I think just, you know, starting with yourself. And if you can find like-minded individuals that also are on the path of self-improvement and challenges, um, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So you definitely want to surround yourself with those, those positive mm-hmm. people that are striving to be better um, in their own life and in their, whether it's personally or professionally. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, go ahead.
1: No, no, go on, go
0: on. Oh, just to touch on the comparison, uh, because we live in such an interesting time where people can compare themselves with a billion people now. You know, you go on Facebook, you're comparing yourself to four or five million billion people, um, however many is on Facebook. And that's not normal and that's not natural for us to be comparing ourselves like that. So I think uh, dialing it down to perspective and to your life and that it's not any uh, less significant because everybody counts. But I think that, you know, trying to find um, maybe that, that personal relationship with yourself and Challenging yourself is really key,
1: and I I have had that a lot. I, I I've always been someone who's compared himself to others for all, all my life, really. Because and there's 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 benefit today. It's not all a, a negative. There's you know if you're in a if you're if you're say in the professional world amongst peers, doctors, and they have a good standard, you want to be of a good standard as well. If you're in know, the musical world, you want to match your peers physically when I did martial arts. You want to be a good fighter like everybody else, but there's a balance, right? Um, and you have to, it's good to compare. It's in a way, it's good to have a rival. It's good to have a target in a healthy way. To say, look, you know, I'm in the I'm in the gym and that, that guy is, is bigger than me. I want to be bigger than you. You know, that that's not too bad, but it's it's a balance of where you keep it at a sensible level. And you realize that that's fine. That's a good target to have, but really what you need to all, most of the things you talk about is, is a very fine balance between uh, having a negative effect and a positive effect, right? So it's good to have people to pay yourself too. But at the end of the day, you have to remember as long as you are getting better, right? And you know, you, on the surface of it, the person you're comparing yourself to, you might think they're similar to you, but their whole life, their background, their circumstances are probably completely different, you know, and it's a bit of a cliche, but we are all unique, right? All our, our backgrounds, our situations, our circumstances are very different. So there's probably no one else like me or like you. Um, so to fully compare someone, it doesn't really work. Um, and I think it's is it, Simon Sinek said this thing about playing the infinite game. As opposed to playing the finite game um so, so you talked about in the context of business but the finite game is when you're comparing yourself to your competitors and you're trying to do one better than them and you're watching them and thinking oh they've done this so we have to do this it's, it's very reactive you could say right mm-hmm. um, but then what happens there is once you if if you eventually beat the competitors you're not really competing yet anyone and you kind of have a uh, there's a danger of going stale until some new kid on the block comes and just you know blows you out of the water and takes the first place The, the infinite game the infinite game is where you just focus on yourself and you just keep applying constant improvements to yourself because that is infinite it's not finite because there's not a point where you do beat the competition because you're always a competition. So there's always a new level to achieve, it's infinite. And in that way, yeah, you might have times in the life where you're surrounded by people who are wiping the floor with you and your crap. But if you keep playing the infinite game and work on yourself, one day you probably will be amongst the best. Mm. Um, and you know, that's what he, I think he described Apple and Microsoft like that. He talked about Microsoft who played a finite game with some of their products. Um, And they didn't kick off. And where Apple was just about um, improving their own services, looking at how they serve their customers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And they are where they are now in terms of things like the the iPhones, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, infinite and finite game is is important.
0: Very important. Um, With regards to just uh, comparing yourself, especially when you compare yourself to your younger self, you know, if you're like 60 and you're trying to compare yourself to your when you were 30, you know, we go through these changes and some people change drastically in one year because of a health problem, a health issue that, um, you know, comes upon them and maybe affects them physically. And they're not able to do what they did just last year. Um, so we're always going to be challenged. That's just life and the way that the cake has been baked. But, um, but I think this is, this is the key.
1: That's right. And that's, that's a good point you've made. And I I guess, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still inexperienced, and I'd say relatively young because actually, what you just made me think about right now was, if I look back now, I'm, I'm, I'm 34. So generally speaking, my life has been an upwards trajectory because I went for university, junior training as a doctor, and I'm, a, I'm in a good place um, physically. I'm, I've got stronger and fitter and fitter, et cetera. But <laughs> when you mentioned the word 60, I guess some time it if I'm 60 and 70, I'll be looking back at now. I might be a little bit slower when I'm 70, right? Yep. So <laughs> I have to deal with it somehow. Yeah. That, right? Now, my mindset is such, I'm not going to accept it. <laughs> I'm going to try and keep pushing. But yeah, that, that's an interesting way of how you, I guess wisdom comes into play. Then isn't the wisdom of age, yeah. how you accept the change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even, what you're, even at 34 right now, you can have pre- preparation for when you're 60. You can have your game plan when you're 70 um i saw uh, the other day clint eastwood movie star he turned 91 and he's in phenomenal shape has his wits about him and they're asking him kind of what was your what's your secret to you know still being strong and healthy at 91 and he said i don't let the old man in (laughs) and i was like that's really good because it's so so much of this this is here just you know going back to that that control you were talking about that you you know, all the control is taken away. So now it's all narrowed down to just basically what's in your head. And it reminds me of Viktor Frankl, you know, when he was in the Nazi concentration camps and they took away everything, they stripped his, tried to strip his integrity and all that. But he said, you can't take away my mind. And yeah. that's, I think um, that's something that will always be with you at whatever age or stage in life.
1: That is such a powerful concept. And I think if we all grasp that, it would really change how we operate in the world and our lives. And I've, you know, yeah, that's the teachings I've had as a child from the Sikh faith have been exactly like that because, you know, we've, you know, when it all is stripped from you, you still have your mind, you know, and, and that's, that's really important, but that mm-hmm. it needs training. You need, you need to go into those places and you need to meditate on that to reflect upon it. We don't, yeah. we don't really connect we don't connect with ourselves anymore mm-hmm. we don't sit in silence and solitude and look inside we are always mm-hmm. now looking outside right mm-hmm. um mentioned about Clint Eastwood what he doesn't let the old man in. I mean yeah I mean again it's, it's a mindset isn't it so you're not accepting you know you're old obviously but what I've done over what I I like to think I'm quite observant I like asking weird questions about why things happen in life but as a, medical, as a doctor now and as a medical student, so I, I guess I, I started medicine medical school in about 2006. So it's been 15 years in the, in the field, you could say, of medicine. And I always wondered, I always ask myself the question, what's the difference between certain 70-year-olds and certain 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds? You see some very sprightly, fit, young-looking people in their 80s Mm-hmm. And you see people in their 70s are just kind of just lost the will to live and they move. Now, obviously, everyone has good and bad luck. So some people have suffered from, you know, strokes and they've had bad injuries and whatnot. But a lot of the time after talking to them, so I would always talk to them. And I found that the, the ones who were still doing really well in their older age had a, that very mindset. You know, they spoke to me like, They were at my level, like we were youngsters talking. They would talk about. They were just. They had this passion for life. So it doesn't matter what they did. They might be playing golf or playing with their grandkids or sewing Mm -hmm. stuff, but they had that passion and that you know that wonder that kids have, that light in their eyes. And I think if you're lucky enough to have avoided things like a stroke or unfortunate injuries like breaking your hip and you know this, this the bad stuff that happens, and you keep that passion going in your head. That's probably what keeps you going into the um into the 80s and the 90s, into old age.
0: Absolutely. Having that passion, having something to do, something to look forward to, something to take care of. Um, those are all very key. You mentioned uh, meditation, and I'm in no means an expert in meditation, but I do see its powerful effect. And I know one meditation that people tend to work on is letting go, that meditation, because throughout life you have to let go of everything even your own life at the end and so that's a that's a practice that we can do um, as far as like strengthening that muscle for those tough times it's letting go
1: mm-hmm. very true and that's exactly it it's it's a it's an exercise um just like you said it's it's, type, it's like a muscle you have to train it um and there's many different aspects so there's letting go is to say there's to have no attachment, in, in 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 to some degree, to not be attached to things. You can you can love, you should love,
0: mm-hmm.
1: unreservedly. But attachment is it's a it's a subtle difference. But it, I guess it's knowing that things are mortal and that things will eventually go. And to meditate on that, to to tell your mind that that's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you kind of stoic. Another concept, premeditatio malorum. So that's in Latin. Is that pre, you know, meditate on the bad before it happens. So you're kind of aware of it happening. And when the scorpion stings, its sting is slightly less because you've somewhat experienced it before. Mm-hmm. The other, so you know, it's it's it sounds quite sad and a bit you know un, unhappy, but actually it's just preparing your mind and is I guess by exposing yourself to it mentally, you are giving yourself a position of strength because when it happens, if it happens, you're not caught unawares and you can therefore have a better response for yourself and also for the people around you. The other thing I wanna mention meditation, which is really important, which kind of ties in with all the SAS business and the physical aspect is outcomes and desire. And I've struggled with this concept for many years because when I was in my teens, I did Taekwondo, nothing special, just went, used to go down to the evening class in my lo- local town twice a week. Um, but you know, I read a lot about Bruce Lee and I was in that environment of watching fighters and trying to get in the mindset. And I wasn't a great fighter, I was kind of average. And I try and fight with the, the strong guys so I could be exposed to that. But you know, Bruce Lee, the concept was always about don't have desire, you know, to win, that will bog you down, don't have any, I used to sometimes want to win or not want to do anything for fear of being attacked, because if you attack, you expose yourself to a counterattack, and then there's the fear of pain and suffering, Um, and so what was I doing, my mind was fixed upon winning and losing, right, so I was bogged down by it, when I'm training in the gym now, if I'm doing heavy lifts, sometimes I'm too concerned about, making the lift, you know, getting the job done. And what's going to happen? Oh, I've still got this much to do and I've got this heavy set to do. When you're on SAS, oh God, how much longer is this going to go on for? We've just done three miles and they have just said, go and do it again. And your mind is now looking at that three mile in the distance. It's too much. It's too much it's saying to you, right? So the meditation, what you need to do, everyone's mindfulness and all that is is a big popular thing nowadays, bit of a buzzword, right? And it's a good thing to do But what meditation needs to do is to silence your mind and bring it into the present. And I used to think that meant to not care about the outcome, but that's a mistake. It's not that you don't care about the outcome, it's you don't know the outcome. You don't know of the outcome. So in your mind, there is no outcome. There is just the now and the doing, yeah? So it's not that you don't care about the outcome, you just make yourself unaware of it so you don't care about the 3 miles left to do you care about the 2 meters of ground ahead of you you're taking the next steps carry on you're doing a heavy squat workout you don't care that your target was 5 reps just focus on that one rep and then the next rep right and then that's where you can turn your training into meditation you know it's a it's like you got a it's like a controlled fury where you have to take in all the energy that you've got, all that negative energy, bring it in and focus exactly in the moment. And we can use all the physical training that we do as a training to teach us mindfulness by bringing the mind into the the present moment. Once you're in the present moment, your abilities really, really increase.
0: Absolutely. Because you're not worried about the past. You're not thinking about the future. You can just... Handle that moment in time, and that's all life is. It's just one moment after the other, and so focus on the one that you're having at hand. Exactly, and yes. I found
1: that in training, it really helped because Bruce Lee says this thing about. Um, there's this famous line he talks about. He says, um, "You know, um, I don't. It, when my when my opponent contracts, I expand. When he expands, I contract." And then he says, "I do not hit." it hits all by itself, and he points to his fist. Um, and I think he's mentioning just that he's not caring about what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. When the opportunity t- happens, it, it just it just hits by itself because you're in the moment. And mm-hmm. that's a really stress-free place to be in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Or I like to say uh, the, the, pa- the power of the pause, like before reacting, that pause, yeah. it, it might be a millisecond that you get that's where your power is, that's where your peace is. And most people skip it, forget it, ignore it, deny that power of the pause.
1: That's more like emotional, isn't it? When, when we're in a, like a mm. angry situation argument yeah. or something. And in those situations, there's you in the situation, but you want to maintain an overview. You want to be looking at yourself like someone who's outside and you want to look at yourself. Am I proud of how I'm behaving right now? and not be sucked into that vortex of emotion. And I think that's how you conduct yourself in a, in a sensible, um, useful manner.
0: Yeah, and it, it's practice, it's a muscle. Like it's, I mean, we're human and fallible and not perfect. And But the more that you can be cognizant and practice and use meditation for those difficult times, I think is a really good tip and strategy. Very cool. So we're getting to the end here. Is there anything else or just last minute thoughts about uh, S or SAS experience or just stoic principles that you would like to share?
1: Um, well, <laughs> I would just say that uh, I mentioned this a few times um, generally is, I think it's just important to have a goal in your life kind of, Figure out. Spend some time on your own in solitude, and and highlight what's really important to you, um, and then decide what you're gonna do to get it. Um, and and to then, you, you gotta you gotta really find what makes you tick, um, what drives you, and that can be anything really. Hopefully, it's a good thing. You know, you don't tend to a life of crime or anything like that, but. You know, you want to have you want to have good moral standards, a good hopefully a good foundation of moral standards, um, and then it's just about being honest with yourself, being open to criticism. Criticism is really good. Um, people shy away from it. you see it on social media all the time. Any any form of criticism is is met with a, just a big, you know, a heavy reaction of defensiveness. But you know having some kind of idea or doing something and exposing it to criticism is good because then you learn where your faults are and you can improve um, and then it's just important to find small challenges really it all begins with small challenges which don't don't be too ambitious at first because then you end up falling flat on your face Um small challenges which you can achieve and in any any field of your life you know it doesn't have to be physical it can be anything you're struggling with Um, and then once you once you achieve a success in one of those small challenges it it propels you to the next step to the next challenge and slowly slowly that builds self-belief in the conscious mind because you know that oh I, I did it you know it gives you that confidence but I also believe it subconsciously teaches your brain that things are possible. So the negative thoughts start to reduce. And finally, that's one of the things I learned from SAS was Ant Middleton in his book, he mentions this concept of godlike responsibility that he had. That and what it was, I, I find it hard to understand first, but he believed that you know when he was climbing Everest or doing things, he believed that he was in control of himself completely. Every step he made mm. was up to him and he had to do it. And mm. it was all about um the self-belief that this is not gonna go wrong, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And I think part of that mindset, and we mentioned it before as well as like the self-belief, is what I feel is, a, is what the special forces have. That's what gives them the ability to do what they do. What we look at them and stand in awe of, that's the root of it and that's their superpower. Mm-hmm. and they shared a sm- they shared a little bit of that with us they showed us a bit of it um, mm-hmm. and now it's up to us to keep the small challenges so we can also experience that and then you mm-hmm. know the world is our oyster as they say.
0: Mm-hmm. that is so good it reminds me of the term internal locus of control where it's up to the individual you're not putting it out there that's having control over you and so you need to harness uh and really hone that internal locus of control Um, Another key point that just kind of popped in my head as you were talking there and those were all excellent is even if you're having like a negative challenge and you don't wanna, let's say you're depressed, you're dealing with depression and instead of looking at it as a negative challenge, look at it as, oh, I'm being tested by depression. All right, let's see what I can do with this and approach it because perception and perspective of the situation is also really, I think key. And that gives you that extra Push that you need to do um, when facing challenges, especially the really hard, negative ones.
1: That's true, and I, yeah, that's and I really feel for people who have to go through things like depression and you know, the the psychological illnesses. Um, I think there is a there is a place for that degree of cognitive um, response from the self, um, but then obviously when you when you get into places like you know, real clinical depression, full-blown. You know, the, I you know, then it, it, it can be very difficult. So people like you, you know, I think people are being professional help then from psychiatry or whatever. Um, but definitely speaking, I think people in the on the spectrum of close to normal but dipping into the um, depressive um, elements. You know, it all depends on your background, isn't it? If you so mental health is a spectrum. So if if you if you come from a background, where you have those bits of positivity already you're going to have more of a um, ability to compensate and a bit more of a defense against it whereas if you've come from a a life of hardship abuse um, just a crap horrible life you're not going to have built up those um, defense mechanisms so that you know it can be really difficult as well so yeah I think if if you have it then try and use it but yeah, it is, it, is, it is that's that's a hard
0: one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, very cool. Um, I do appreciate you coming on my channel and I wish you all the best with your uh eye surgeon training and so forth, and just you know, keep being an inspiration because you definitely were uh, watching season five of SAS. Um, lots of interesting characters on there, and I would definitely put you in that category.
1: Thank you. That's very kind of you. And you know, it's just I always think this I'm just lucky to have had opportunities. Um, and just you try and make the most of them, and you just try and be honest to whatever moral code you've decided to live by, and the rest just happens. So, yeah, I'm really uh, appreciate you having me, and it's, it's been really nice having this talk as well. And it's, it's a, it, you know, you learn, you learn stuff, you know, you, you talk to someone, and you, you, know, you realize where you know, it's, you know, I've learned things talking to you, and it's, it's just been really um, a really good experience.
0: Oh, likewise, thank you so much. Um, if you guys, if you guys like this video, please share and give it a thumbs up and don't forget to share and subscribe and hit the bell to be alerted to when the next video drops. Thanks for watching. Bye.